You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Isaiah didn't say, oh, by the way, where do you want me to go? I really don't want to leave home. No, no, no. It's a full-on commitment. It's a total surrender. Whom shall I send? Here am I. Even before he knows what the task is, what the mission is, or where he's to go, Lord, I'll go. I love it when God gives me things just from meditating on his word. And here's what he gave me. The greater vision one has of God and the greater appreciation for all he's done for us, the more expressive will be that person's worship of him and the more willing will be their service to him. Isaiah was a faithful servant of the Lord, and he wasn't afraid to follow the call that God had on his life. In today's message with Pastor Danny, you'll learn a bit about Isaiah and the amazing amount of trust that he had in God. Even before he knew where the Lord was calling him, he went, with no excuses and no hesitation. The greater vision you have of God, the more you'll be willing to serve and worship him. So how do you get a greater vision? You spend time in his presence and you read his word. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts, chapter 28, as he begins his message, Worship in the Light of the Kingdom of God. chapter 28 is where we spring from and two statements that Paul made the beginning one is in the middle of verse 23 and it says simply um, he witnessed to them from morning to evening evening explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus second verse 31 he proclaimed the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and so we've been sprung from these verses into a series, which is rare for me, but not wrong, on the kingdom of God. Today, our focus on the kingdom takes us to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You find the place, go all the way down near the end of the chapter to verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, I realize still today, some of you don't bring your Bible. I pray one of your New Year's resolution is bring your Bible, use it, open it, read it. Read it all together one more time and think about it. Are you ready? Here we go. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Reverence. Here's what it means. Caution, circumspection, discretion. Uh, As a college student, Christian college student, I didn't know what circumspection meant. You know how I learned? First vacation I ever went with Wendy Robinson's family, that was before we got married, Wendy Robinson, before we were married, 
And they would year after year go to Nags Head, North Carolina. So I went with her family to Nags Head, North Carolina. And uh, there were lots of relatives there. They had several beach houses, if I remember right. And, and uh, in the main beach house where the dad was staying and Winnie and I were staying, um, the dad, her dad, uh, did a little Bible thing the evening. And he pulled his Bible out and he turned to Ephesians chapter 5 and he read verse 15. Walk circumspectly. And then he asked, what does that mean? I just kept my mouth shut because I didn't know. Next thing I know, after a few seconds of silence, Wendy, silence, Wendy raised her hand and her dad acknowledged her. She said it means to walk carefully. And her dad proudly and affirmatively said, yes, to walk carefully. And I thought, what in the world am I doing with this girl? She's not only smarter than me, she knows the Bible. Walk circumspectly, walk carefully with discretion and caution. Unlike Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's two sons, who offered unauthorized fire before the Lord and God took their lives. It was an irreverent act. Unlike Uzzah, who though well-meaning, reached out to steady the ark as they're carrying the ark on the cart, pulled by the oxen, and that wasn't the prescribed way to move the ark, and David would learn that after God took Uzzah's life when he reached out his hand to steady the ark, and God said, that's an irreverent act. You're not walking circumspectly with caution and discretion. Even in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in regard to the Lord's table, the communion table, it says some are taking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And that's why some of you are weak and sick and some of you have fallen asleep because it was irreverent. Irreverent. Let us worship our God acceptably with reverence and, get this one, awe. It means wonder, admiration, amazement, surprise, even astonishment. This verse, these two verses we read, these two verses we said together from Hebrews 12, they are set in the context of the contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, go back with me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and it's burning with fire. That was Mount Sinai when God gave the law through Moses to darkness, gloom, and storm, to trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them. Israelites said to Moses, you find out what God says and come tell us, but we're not going to listen anymore. They couldn't handle it because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear because one wrong move Everybody knew they deserved judgment. But you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. I thought about the heavenly Jerusalem again in study for this message. I went back to Revelation at the end where it describes the heavenly Jerusalem. I couldn't help but think about all those times I've watched the Wizard of Oz, both as a child and with my children. And when they come out of the woods and they see for the first time the Emerald City and it glows and it sparkles, and I thought compared to the heavenly Jerusalem, it looks like a shack. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Why are they so joyful? Peter says, 
that angels long to look into the predictions, the prophetic predictions of the sufferings of the Messiah and of the redemption of the world. And now they see it. Luke tells us that when one sinner repents, when one person gets saved here on earth, the angels rejoice in heaven. They are joyful because of the sacrifice of the lamb, the shed blood, and the salvation that's brought to so many Jews and Gentiles alike. They're rejoicing. To the church of the firstborn. The word is prototokos in the Greek. It's not first one born. It means the preeminent one. And we are the preeminent ones. We are the apple of God's eye. Whose names are written in heaven. Do you ever really stop to really appreciate that? The apostles go out, first missionary journey. They come back. They say, Lord, even the demons submit to us. He said, don't rejoice that the demons submit to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You've come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. Righteous what? By faith. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us in order that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No matter what my wife thinks about me, no matter what my family thinks about me, no matter what you think about me, I'm whiter than snow because of Jesus. And if you know him, so are you. No matter what I think about you. And we won't go there right now. I love you. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel speak? Well, Cain murdered his brother, and Cain murdered him, and now the blood of Abel speaks for what? Vengeance and justice. But what does the blood of Jesus speak? Even for murderers, mercy, forgiveness. There's only one sin God can't forgive, and that's the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and that's denying and rejecting Jesus Christ. Any other sin, listen, you can be washed, you can be cleansed, it doesn't matter. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Now you'll appreciate these two verses even more. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, not will not be shaken, cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Interesting word translated worship here in Hebrews 12. In many other scriptures, it's translated worship. Acts 7, 7, Acts 7, 42, 24, 14, Philippians 3, 3, Hebrews 10, verse 2. But you know, just as often it's translated, guess what? Serve. Jesus in response to the devil, temptation in the wilderness. Jesus said unto him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. And here's the word. Same word as in Hebrews 12, worship, serve. Serve him only. And here's connected, interestingly, with worship. They translated it this way here because it's not meant to say, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and worship him only. That'd be okay, but worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Romans chapter 1. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped, and here's the word again, served. Created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Now, what does that tell us? That there's a connection 
between worshiping acceptably and service and those who are real worshipers also are willing to serve. Isaiah is a great example of this. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Here's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So Isaiah sees a fresh vision of the Lord, and he sees him in his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Here's his response. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. Woe to me. It means judgment to me. It means, it means damnation to me. It means I'm in trouble. <laughs> I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Before Isaiah's vision of the Lord in this fresh way, he might have thought, well, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as them. But now that he sees the Lord, I'm ruined. I'm damned. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth. Why his mouth? Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's a heart problem. But he touches his mouth, and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Now get this. He sees the holiness of God, and in seeing the holiness of God, he realizes how sinful he is and how damned he is. At least that's what he deserves. And now he's forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Did you catch that Isaiah didn't say, uh, by the way, where do you want me to go? I really don't want to leave home. No, no, no. It's a full-on commitment. It's a total surrender. Whom shall I send? Here am I. Even before he knows what the task is, what the mission is, or where he's to go, Lord, I'll go. I love it when God gives me things just from meditating on his word. And here's what he gave me. The greater vision one has of God and the greater appreciation for all he's done for us, the more expressive will be that person's worship of him. And the more willing will be their service to him. Two issues, service and worship expression. I'm not going to deal with service. I think the principle and the foundation there was laid in the message a couple of weeks ago with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And true worshipers are willing to serve. So the service will come naturally. If we worship him acceptably with reverence. And on the scripture the Lord led me to, to challenge us in this is Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. And the event I'll read about 
Interestingly enough, it's found in all four gospels, Matthew 26, Mark 14, and John chapter 12. Holy Spirit puts it in all four gospels, which tell us how important it is. God wants us to get it. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, she has a reputation. Everybody knows her sinfulness. She learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. If you compare the gospel accounts of this event, we know that the alabaster jar of perfume was very expensive perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. Normally you'd put perfume on the head of a distinguished guest. She puts it on his feet, probably as well as his head. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. He doesn't know Jesus knows what he's thinking. So Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. And he said to Simon, you see this woman, I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, which was a common courtesy to have their feet washed. Even if the master didn't do it, he had a servant that would do it. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which was customary in that culture as a greeting. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, which again was a common courtesy, especially if the guest was distinguished. But she has poured perfume on my feet. You see the depth of her humility. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And before I go on, I don't want you to miss the point. In this real life event, the point in this real life event that we will show from the scriptures is not who has more sin. That's not the point. The point is just the opposite. The point is who sees their sin the most and the clearest. What was it that enabled this woman to worship Jesus in this way? And I want to suggest to you that she worshiped the Lord acceptably with reverence and awe. She's astonished. She's amazed. She's surprised. Why? Because she's forgiven. She knows her sin. Everybody in the town knows her sin. Most scholars believe she was a prostitute. We don't know. We're not told. But, but she had a reputation. What was it that enabled her to worship in this way? And I'll tell you the first one. She had a keen awareness of her sinful condition. Something that Simon the Pharisee lacked. 
Jesus told a parable about people like Simon the Pharisee. You find it in Luke's gospel, chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, and they were despised. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I don't recommend it. Listen to me. I don't recommend it at all. I wish I could go back and change my history. But I can't. I had no problem. Listen to me. I had no problem seeing my sin. No problem. When I asked God to forgive me, when I asked Jesus Christ to become my Lord and Savior, it was very emotional what happened. It was very emotional because I knew how sinful I was. I knew what I had done. I knew how I'd repeatedly over years and years sinned. I knew it. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend becoming a drug addict to come to a place you realize how bad off you are. I don't recommend living in immorality to come and find out how really sinful you are. I don't recommend it. Thank God for those of you who never went the wild life that I did. And if I asked for a show of hands, matter of fact, how many of you had a wild background like mine? Wild background. Look at that. Look at that. For the ones who didn't, and you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, God bless you. I wish I was like you. But with that said, let me fill you in on something that the Scripture is very clear about, and you'll see it in just a minute very clearly from the Scriptures. You're just as sinful as I am. Oh, you may not have done the things I did. And you look at people like me in terms of that day. You know, I was the one that your parents told you to stay away from. Thank God we're not like that Danny Hodges. Thank God my kids are not like him. Stay away from him. And you compare yourself with people like me in terms of the past, and you may look pretty good. That's not the comparison. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah might have said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, but theirs are more unclean than mine are. My devotional reading Thursday morning, man, did it just smack in the face in such a fresh way. Matthew 7 was part of my New Testament reading, and here I am reading, and down in verse 11, here's what it says. Jesus said, though you are evil, and yet you want to give good gifts to your children. Wait a minute, I'm a good father, I want to give good gifts to my kids, and yet Jesus said, I'm evil. But that's the truth. You ever read the book of Romans? If you're a Jewish person and you're reading the book of Romans, you start out all excited because chapter one, he's dealing with the Gentile world and he's talking about how pagan these Gentiles are and how they didn't keep the knowledge of God. And so God gives them over to all kind of lustful things and they become depraved. And you're a Jewish person and you're reading chapter one, you're going, amen, 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 to hell with them. You know, kind of deal. That's the kind of thought they would have. And then you get to chapter two and boy, do they get shocked. And offended. Because <laughs> chapter 2 <laughs> kind of 
shocking if you're a Jewish person, you just dealt with the Gentile world and their condemnation, they're deserving hell. And then chapter two opens up this way. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. While Jesus was on earth, he talked a lot about the kingdom of God. But what does this mean for you today? Well, in this series, Pastor Danny looks to scripture to help you further understand what God has in mind for his kingdom. How does it affect you in this moment? What does it mean for you in the future? As you continue to listen to this series, we hope you gain a greater understanding of God's intent for your part in his kingdom. We're thankful that you've chosen to tune in today to The Living Word. If you'd like to hear more of Pastor Danny's messages from this series, visit ccfstpete.church. Feel free to download or share these teachings with others. You can also visit our YouTube channel. You might be interested in looking back at some previous services that are there as well. Subscribing to our YouTube channel will allow you to be notified as soon as we post anything new. If you're in the St. Petersburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship for a time of worship and Bible study. You can find out more by going to our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. If you're unable to join us in person, we offer a live stream of our weekend services. Just visit our website and click the link in the menu. Thanks so much for tuning in today to hear from Pastor Danny right here on The Living Word.